Hello and welcome to the Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric Sturgeon. And I'm Russell Sorry. This podcast is about all things Wisconsin, history, music, and culture. While drinking a few brews. Though we don't often use strong language, the jokes and the content is not intended for young audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Before we begin the episode, we have to give a huge shout out to the Dangits from Madison, Wisconsin for providing us with great bluegrass intro you hear at the beginning of every episode. The song Razzle was written by Jamie Lampkins, but is performed by on behalf of Tom Wasselchuk and the Dangits. If you have a chance, check these guys out at dang-its.com for upcoming shows, music, or on how to book them for weddings, parties, and etc. Thank you for listening. All right, everyone. Welcome back. This is another episode of Wisconsin Drunken History. Your weekly dose of the dairy state. I am Eric. I am Russ. We have a truly tasty beer review today. We have another edition of How Many Loco You At. We have music from the Bluegrass Legends Chicken Wire Empire and a special guest interview. But our main story for today is the origins of the Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Brew crew. Fear the beer, baby. So let's go ahead and start right off. There is an extensive tradition of baseball in Milwaukee. In in fact, the Brewers nickname uh, can be traced all the way back to the 1880s. Although none of those early teams, you know, enjoyed any success or stability. Milwaukee had a number of teams in a number of different minor and major league clubs from 1870s all the way through the 1900s with nicknames like Milwaukee West Ends. Milwaukee Grays, Milwaukee Cream Cities, Milwaukee Creams, Milwaukee Bears, which is the Negro National League, Milwaukee Chicks, which is the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, and of course, Milwaukee Brewers. The story really begins in 1901 when the American Association Milwaukee Brewers were founded. This came after the American League Brewers were moved to St. Louis and became the St. Louis Browns, which is actually the modern Orioles franchise. At the conclusion of the 1900 season, the American League removed itself from baseball's national agreement, which was the formal understanding uh, between the National League and the minor leagues. So two months after this decision, the American League declared itself a competing major league. So the Brewers were were one of only two Western League teams that didn't either completely fold or move, and the other one being the Detroit Tigers. So, But during the first season of the American League, the Brewers finished dead last with a record of 48-89. and 89. Uh, And they played their home games at Lloyd Street Grounds between 16th and 18th Streets in Milwaukee. The modern story of the Brewers begins in 1953, when Milwaukee was desperately trying to entice owners and clubs to uproot their teams and uh, make Milwaukee their new home. So we built Milwaukee County Stadium. And yeah, if, we've all been there. I was just going to say, and, and if you visited Milwaukee County Stadium, you know, up until 2001, it was it was a really, it was a family-friendly ballpark. It was your more traditional-looking and feeling ballpark. Um, I had only maybe attended, you know, five or six games there, and I was really young. The last one was probably in the year 2000. I remember watching Jeremy Burnett's take a ball, right over the park i remember so uh, uh, just a little side story i remember going there for a cubs game 
And uh, obviously, we hate the Cubs here. They're like not. Amen. Yeah. So, but what happened? The Brewers hit a home run. So then we had a couple guys, you know, talking trash from the Chicago team. And all of a sudden, I was 10 years old, and I watched all these guys just go at it, like fist to fist. They had to have people come out and break up with how intense it got. That's classic. I know. It was just, you know, just watching that, like from like a like a sideline perspective, just seeing all these fists flying, like Brew Crew fans dropping Cubs fans. It was just intense. I mean. And, you know, if, if things were done properly today, we would still see that, that sort of athleticism in the fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the current Brewers Club, then a minor league farm team for the Boston Braves, were set to move into County Stadium when Lou Perini moved his Boston Braves into the new stadium and became the Milwaukee Braves. The Brewers moved to Toledo, Ohio, and became the Mud Hens. After the 1965 season, the Braves relocated to Atlanta, and a Braves minority owner named Bud Selig know that guy. quickly turned his focus to returning Major League Baseball to Milwaukee. Now, Bud Selig, also former commissioner of uh, the, uh, the MLB as well. So you notice his name um, a lot for that, but for these next few things, little less known uh, facts. So Selig was a car dealer and a Milwaukee area native. He grew up watching the minor league brewers at uh, the Borchert Field and was now attempting to continue the tradition of baseball in Milwaukee. In 1968, Selig contracted with Chicago White Sox owner Arthur Allen to host nine games at Milwaukee County Stadium in an effort to demonstrate there was still support uh, for big league baseball right here in Milwaukee. The experiment actually proved successful when in those nine games drew 264,297 fans. Wow. In the remaining 72 home games that uh, played in Chicago, the White Sox only drew... 539,478 fans. So in those nine games, the Milwaukee crowds roughly accounted for one third of Sox games that season. Those fans accounted for one third. Yeah. And think of the size of Milwaukee compared to Chicago. Absolutely. Just crazy different size. And even at that time, Chicago was way bigger. Oh yeah. Milwaukee was like, Elkhorn compared to that at that point. Exactly. And for those of you who don't know who, what Elkhorn is, that's where Russ and I come from. It's a like Southeast corner of, uh, of Wisconsin about, I don't know, 45 minutes from Milwaukee. I was just going to say four, about 50 minutes away from Milwaukee. Yeah. So just crazy to imagine that in just nine games, we accounted for a third of the fans for the, you know, the site, the Sox season. So, um, Seligan Allen, Uh, again agreed Milwaukee would host White Sox games for the 1969 season, Um, even though those games uh, in 1969 uh, were slightly less attended um, than the uh, the previous season. um, It actually accounted for a greater percentage of the total attendance. So for anybody mathematically gifted out there, essentially, uh, you know, we had more games, so 11 versus nine, but and, and some were less attended. What ended up happening was less people attended those games in Chicago. So even though we dropped slightly on the Milwaukee end in those 11 games, uh, the 1969 season didn't see very much support in Chicago for their team. So we still 
covered one third of the fans who went to Sox games in 1969. That's nuts. So to to be you know really frank, this experiment worked well. If there was ever a, a question that big league baseball could manage uh, in Milwaukee, you know this this proved it you know perfectly. So Seelig's experiments fared very well. Armed with this momentum, he attended the 1968 owners' meetings with high hopes. Unfortunately, the National League franchises were awarded to San Diego, which is the Padres, Montreal, which is the Expos, and American League franchises were awarded to Kansas City, now the Royals, and Seattle, the Pilots. Failing to gain a team in the expansion, Selig turned his attention to purchasing and relocating an existing team. And he started with a familiar face. He went right back to Arthur Allen with the Chicago White Sox. The sale was eventually vetoed, uh, and Arthur Allen eventually settled on selling the team to his brother, John. So we did not get the Chicago White Sox franchise. The league eventually just vetoed that thing and said, nope, not happen. So we revisit the newly created Seattle Pilots expansion club in that American League. They struggled in many aspects. They finished dead last in the American League West, 33 games out of the first, uh, and an out-of-date stadium, uh, poor attendance, uh, pressure from the league to fix these issues and build new stadium. They were just really behind the eight ball on all of this, and when you're a brand-new club like that, if you don't have a huge financial backing, nothing's going to happen quickly. So Selig met with, in secrecy with uh, Dewey Soriano, uh, the owner of the Pilots Club, and Soriano agreed to sell to Selig for $10 million to $13 million, basically depending on the source that you, you hear. It's going to be one, you know, somewhere between 10 and 13 mil. But the deal was far from over. Washington's two senators, Warren Magnuson and Henry Jackson, pushed Soriano to find a local buyer, so somebody more in the Seattle area. So then local theater chain owner Fred Danz came forward in October of 69 with a $10 million deal, but it eventually fizzled when the Bank of California called uh, in a $4 million startup loan that was given to Soriano. So basically they had a deal for 10 and all of a sudden the bank that originally gave him the loan to start this thing off said, where's our four mil? So the deal just fizzled out, just didn't work. So, in January of 1970, Weston Hotel's owner, Eddie Carlson, put together a nonprofit group to buy the team. However, the owners rejected the idea. After a winter and spring full of court action, the pilots reported for spring training under new manager Dave Bristol, unsure of where they would even play. The owners had given tentative approval to the Milwaukee group again, but the state of Washington got an injunction on March 17th to stop the entire deal. Soriano immediately filed for bankruptcy, a move intended to forestall any post, uh, post-sale legal action. At the bankruptcy hearing a week later, Milks testified there wasn't enough money to pay the coaches, players, and staff. Had Milks been more than 10 days late in paying the players, they would have all become free agents and left Seattle without a team for the 1970 season. With this in mind, federal bankruptcy referee Sidney Volan declared the pilots bankrupt on April 1st, 
six days after or six days before rather opening day. This clearing the way for them to move to Milwaukee. The team's equipment had been sitting in Provo, Utah, with the drivers awaiting word on whether to drive toward Seattle or drive towards Milwaukee. As they say, the rest is history. So in 1977, the Brewers organization made two very important hirings. Number one, Harry Dalton, and number two, George Bamberger. Immediately, these two were able to help lead the Brewers to 93-win season, a 26-game improvement from the previous season, and they finished just six and a half games behind the first-place Yankees. Now, remember, we're in the AL, not the NL at this time. So, with homegrown talent like Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, and Gorman Thomas, Bambi's Bombers, as they were called, continued to improve. They added some cast-offs from other teams, and you might recognize some of these names as well. Cecil Cooper, Ben Ogilvie, and Mike Caldwell. In the 1979 season, the Brewers won 95 games and finished second in the AL East, just seven games back from the Baltimore Orioles in first. So we're really close. We're, We're always just a series or two behind that number one team. In 1980, we would see major changes. The Brewers' skipper, George Bamberger, suffering a heart attack, they turned the team over to Buck Rogers. And a downward skid totally ensued. In the offseason, before the 1982 season, the Brewers were actually favorites to win the AL East, but under Buck Rogers, they fell early in the season to a measly 23-24 record. So when you're potentially expected and projected to win, a 23 and 24 start is terrible. Oh, yeah. I mean, these Brewers should have been off to a start that looked, you know, way closer to maybe like eight or nine losses is really what, you know, the, the, the professionals were thinking. Yeah. So with an absolutely all-star cast of players that included Ted Simmons, Cecil Cooper, Jim Gantner, Paul Molitor, Robin Yount, Ben Ogilvy, Gorman Thomas, Pete Vukovic, Don Sutton, Moose Haas, Mike Caldwell, and Raleigh Fingers, a change at skipper had to be made. Enter Harvey Kuhn. And welcome Harvey's Wallbangers. This is the cast right here, fellas. This is what we lived for. The Brewers would finish first in the AL East with a record of 95 and 67, partly due to the, you know, those 24 early losses that we could have cut down, but 95 and 67 was good enough to get us that first place call. Uh, And we would go on to face the St. Louis Cardinals in that year's world series, affectionately called the Sudway series wordplay for subway series and parodying the two cities as homes of major breweries Miller Brewing in Milwaukee and Anheuser-Busch in St. Louis the Brewers would eventually and might I add sadly fall to the cards four to three in the series so in our you know big 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 world series you know uh, uh, you know um, us being there for the first time we lose four to three. We kept it a game. Obviously, we pushed it to game seven, but 
just crazy that you know we would we would go there with that star cast and end up losing. So that only tells you one thing. I mean, the cards that year were were great. You know, I, I always love the Brewers' name, and uh, I, I you know obviously Chicago would have been the Brew City. Did you know that? But the yeah. uh, Great Fire really struck Chicago really back. Really screwed them, yeah. Yeah, so Milwaukee ended up becoming the Brew City because they were supplying the beer to Chicago, which had the fire, but people right. still wanted the beer. Right. So Milwaukee and Brewers, I mean, it's just a legend in itself. Right. I mean, the story tells itself, which is amazing. So unfortunately, you know, we've, we've struggled with the St. Louis Cardinals year after year after year. For some reason, those Cardinals never give up. They're always in the race. So although the Brewers haven't been able to really capture the same success as they did in 1982, the loyal fans have enjoyed awesome years as of late, particularly our return to postseason action in 2008, the 2011 heartbreaker against the rival Cardinals once again, and of course, 2018's NLCS nail-biter against the Dodgers. We brought that thing to seven games, and damn, it was... I mean, every minute of every single game was just sweat inducing, just tear jerking one minute. I'm crying and I'm just desperate. I've thrown everything out the window. I've given up hope to the next minute. We crush a home run to tie the damn game and we're back in it, you know, Uh, just insane. And at that time I was living a mere 10 blocks away from Miller Park. I witnessed one time after a game, this lady smash into the back end of a car sitting right in front of my apartment building. I sat up for 45 minutes watching them give her a roadside uh, PBT and everything. It was amazing. Uh, And this was after one of the games. So it was absolutely phenomenal. So, so long as we can tailgate and we can gather at the league's best ballpark in the greatest baseball city, the loyal fans will continue to find joy in any little victory we can. Yeah, I know. Recently, we had a heartbreak. Uh, the uh, Nationals game last year. I was watching it, and uh, I was so amped up. I'm like, "Yes, the Brewers are getting in. You know, they're gonna make it this year." And we we're just crushing them. And then there's Nationals fans crying in the stadium. Yeah. And uh, I remember, you know, the heartbreak when uh, they ended up losing, man, I, I, I hit, it hit me hard, honestly. Last year was tough. I mean, you know, we, we have the opportunity to make those playoffs and then, you know, it just, you know, we as Milwaukee Brewers fans, we don't get to taste the playoffs as often as we want to, you know, we always think we go into the season thinking, yeah, this is the crew. This is the team that's going to do it. And then you watch, you know, 60 70% of the season just go by and you're like that didn't go as as planned yeah. you know this is not what we projected um but then you know you you somehow you get to that last few series and we start doing that mathematical countdown of are we even close is there a way that we could maybe win the next you know 8 of 10 and make it in squeak in i mean we always do that and Although I love the the crew and I love doing that, I really would love it if it was more like 2018 where we could just basically, you know, just get, buy our ticket to the NLCS and, and somehow fight our way in, you know? Yeah, someday I know we'll make it, you know. Uh, I, obviously, I'm a Wisconsinite through and through, so there's there's no way I'd like any other baseball team. Even if they're the worst team in the league, honestly, I wouldn't switch it. Like if they were Detroit Lions, of yeah. the, you know, of the football league, I would still like them because they're Wisconsin. Like even if they were the worst of the worst, which they aren't. 
They're not, you know, but you know, there have been years though. And yeah, for sucks. sure. And I got a little side story. Like I've always wondered, you know, Bernie Brewer, he has the best job in probably any job you could ever ask for. He's his own little dugout. And all he has to do is really just slide down the slide when they hit a home run. So do you think like that guy's ripping fucking brewskis behind he's, the... Yeah, exactly. So I'm with you. I think, honestly, he's probably up there ripping brewskis, sucking down some hot dogs. And then every once in a while, he hears the crack of the bat and he hears uh, the, the stadium go wild. Euchre is, you know, it's up, something out here, gone. And he is down the slide. And that's all oh, he's yeah. got to do. He's got to still... just remember, hey, if you hear Uke screaming about something going over the, you know, get out of here, gone, then I got to slide down that slide. No matter how drunk I am, my ass is ripping down that slide like you wouldn't believe. And I wouldn't even, you know, fail to, to, to even project that they've got some sort of, you know, slick projectant on that slide to help them get down oh, there faster. Sure. You remember the uh, Christmas vacation movie on that, uh, the saucer? Oh yeah, he sprayed that Chevy Chase with some <laughs> Exper- new the experimental spray. Yep. Bernie has that on his anus. He's got that on his anus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I love Bernie. Like honestly, like I always talk about, like someday I'd like to retire and just you know be a Walmart greeter. But if I could retire and be a Bernie Brewer, well, what about our our uh, former teacher, uh, Mister Meyer? He's been selling brews at Miller Park for I don't know twenty years. I mean, you go there; he's known as the Ice Man. For those of you listening, the Iceman was our teacher in Elkhorn at the middle school. And this guy is uh, just a legend at Miller Park. The Ice I mean, Man. He, he basically walks around, says, ice cold beers, Iceman, woo! He Ric Flair's in the middle of everything. That's pretty cool. And people people want to sit in his section. That's awesome. It's crazy. They, uh, side note, they made a uh, limited edition bobblehead of the Iceman. Mr. You, Meyer. You can't, yes. No And you can't way. find it. Oh, that is amazing. So part of the fans got the like the bottle of beer bobble. And then some of the fans got Mr. Meyer, Iceman, Kenneth Meyer. No way. I swear to you. That is amazing. I don't have it. I, I, have, wonder... I have probably close to 100 bobbleheads here in my basement. They are not. Iceman, and so, that's the one I want. Do you think, I know they have the uh, Bobblehead Museum here in Milwaukee, which is like, it's officially now the largest bobblehead collection. It is. It, do you think Mr. Meyer is in there? Because I really want to see this thing. I 100% guarantee that there is the Kenneth Meyer Iceman bobblehead in that museum. I might be making a trip soon. I got to see this. My wife and I went to uh, Cincinnati, and it wasn't, it was an off, it was an off day, so the Reds weren't playing. But there's a geocache there, and for those of you that don't know, uh, geocaching is just about the funnest thing you can do. Uh, I'm not supposed to talk about it because of muggles. Um, but anyway, when you get into it, it's great. But there is a geocache in Cincinnati that allows you to walk around the ballpark, and you have to look at the different statues. You have to read the different statues uh, that they have out front. And um, It'll it'll lead you to the right thing, and you have to you have to text that answer to the person that set the geocache in order to even get um, the the, uh, the the recognition that you that you won or whatever. Not win, but you know you found it. So we're there, and and at the time, um, the they the the Cincinnati Reds have a have a huge museum right outside the ballpark. It's amazing. At the time, they weren't doing it, but a few years earlier in 2016, I was there with my friend Jake Stark. 
and uh, the the uh, Cincinnati Reds Museum was doing also a bobblehead museum right when you walked in, and they probably had close to uh, ten thousand bobbleheads, and they were all all different. Every single one of them was different. They were from different teams. I saw a bunch of the ones that I have here in my collection. Uh, it was just absolutely fantastic, but it does not rival the Milwaukee uh, Bobblehead Museum. So if you have a chance, that's a shout out right there. Check out the Milwaukee Bobblehead Museum. It is the largest. All right. We now have another Wisconsin music segment. And I'll be honest, I am very excited about this one. Uh, We are talking about Chicken Wire Empire. These guys are one of Wisconsin's premier bluegrass bands. We featured Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. We now have Chicken Wire Empire. These guys are phenomenal. If you haven't yet, check them out on Spotify, their band camp, YouTube, amazing stuff. They cover Wildflowers by Tom Petty. Uh, this stuff is just phenomenal music. I am, I can't even believe that Jordan uh, of the band got back to me. I'm really excited about this. So, yeah, I know uh, they've played at like the Blue Ox Music Festival, and uh, many of you might not know about it, but it's a, a big bluegrass festival we hold here in Wisconsin and uh, always features really good bands, local bands. You know, they actually people come from all over to check this place out. And uh, I know, Eric, you've heard that they might be doing an event coming up here, a drive-in event. Yeah, so it's called the Drive-In Tailgate Concert Series. This is round two. This will be on uh, Saturday, August 22nd, so next Saturday. And this, in particular, is in uh, Hillsboro, Wisconsin. Go to their Facebook page. Go to Chicken Wire Empire's Facebook page and go to their tour dates uh, section. Uh, this will take you right to their bands in town or wh- you know whatever that website is uh, to explain a little bit more about what it is uh, and when uh, you can see it. It's I think 5 o'clock is when their time is. I'm not sure if that's when they hit the stage or if that's when the whole event starts, but it is... 100% phenomenal. I can't explain to you that there's about three three bands that really got me into bluegrass. These guys are right up top. This is the, I mean, seeing Horseshoes and Hand Grenades was really cool on, on Live at King Street. And then that kind of sparked something to be like, you know what? This is, this is a really cool style of music. And I really appreciate the uh, musicianship and how quickly everybody's going. It's just every single instrument is like at its top speed. And, and you and I old punkers, uh, we love playing as fast as you possibly can, no matter if it doesn't make sense. That's punk. When you're pl- talking about bluegrass and they're playing as fast as they possibly can, theirs all makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's great seeing, you know, the mil- like the mountain music coming back to, you know, coming to Wisconsin because we got a lot of people. I mean, we got like what them Cooley boys we got. Yeah. You know, these guys are like the trifecta of the great Wisconsin um, music yeah. for bluegrass. And uh, I think this isn't the event. It's going to be held at the uh, Driftless Garden area. Yeah. Is that correct? Correct. So you can actually kind of pull up. You can tailgate there. You know, have some brats with some great bluegrass music. Brew it up. Yeah, brew it up. You know, heck, I don't know if they allow beer or whatever, but heck, they make those covers now. Just throw that over your beer. Looks like a mountain brew. And uh, yeah, we really enjoy these guys. Yeah. 
and and so the members of this band are Greg, John, Jordan, Ernest, and Ryan. Uh, all of these guys are just phenomenal, uh, uh, just phenomenal musicians. And and I uh, as as a uh, what I now call a former musician, I still putz around with stuff, but uh, these, I mean, it's just incredible the level of artistry and musicianship they have. Uh, so without further ado, we have for you Chicken Wire Empire, Milwaukee. It's been a long, long road Though we've made it, I can't believe we're home Seen the southern skies and the snow-covered plains And now we're back here in Milwaukee And it all feels the same I tried to kiss you and you seem to mind Thought about that kiss one million times I Tried to take you where those southern breeze blows And that's just how it goes Back here in Milwaukee Back here in Milwaukee Back here in Milwaukee Back here in Milwaukee I never meant to make it this far Back here in Milwaukee Back here in Milwaukee Back here in Milwaukee Again, that was Chicken Wire Empire, one of the bluegrass bands from Wisconsin you have to check out. And now on to our next segment, which is the How Many Loco You At segment. And for those of you just joining us, the How Many Loco You At segment is just weird Wisconsin news 
and we try to guess how many locos you would drink to get to this point. Obviously, one can, four loco, two can, eight loco, three can, 12 loco. Pretty easy math. So I'm going to give it to Eric, and he's going to read this random article about a uh, Wisconsin driver from Cuba City. Yeah, so uh, a drunk driver from Cuba City crashed into a creek in a cow pasture while fleeing police on Saturday. (laughs) At about 5.15 p.m. on Saturday, authorities received a report of a truck traveling south on Highway 80 in an erratic manner, crossing the center line multiple times. Cuba City Police located the vehicle traveling west on St. Rose Road and attempted to stop it, but it had accelerated quickly and was pursued a short distance before the pursuit was terminated. The truck was located off the road in a creek in a cow pasture. The driver was detained until sheriff's deputy arrived. Um, The deputy observed multiple signs of impairment, and uh, eventually arrested the driver for uh, operating while intoxicated and cited him for failing to stop for an emergency vehicle and failure to keep vehicle under control. So, so how, how Wisconsin do you have to be? Like, if you, if you crash into a cow pasture or a, cow, a cornfield, like, that is, like, the most Wisconsin drunk driving I've ever heard, honestly. Yeah, and so he was driving a Silverado truck, which sustained heavy damage and was removed from the creek by uh, a local towing company but so cow many locos you had exactly how many locos this guy drank straight from the udder i'm yeah. telling you right now the the issue that i have here is that he was he had the wherewithal to decide to the, right to pursue per, exactly to, to to flee so and i don't then, think it was quite past an eight loco so it's it's definitely for me right. it's a two can local stage maybe an eight loco exactly i think he, he probably started that second can i don't know that he finished it so i'm thinking somewhere between like a five six maybe seven loco at tops um but he's somewhere in that second can when he decides oh crap they got me <laughs> yeah, I mean, how how amusing is this one? I mean, oh, listen, oh I got these freaking, I got these freaking cheesy jokes, dude, you that are, are just keep coming, dude. I I got a ton of them. Dairy funny. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh snap! But uh, yeah, that's that'll conclude our uh, segment on how many loco you at. And now we're gonna do a beer review segment. And you got to check these ones out. We always do Wisconsin beer. We're always drinking. We're always having a few brews. Wisconsin local. Here we go. All right. So the beer today is Mobcraft Oddball. Yeah. So the Oddball is a cold style ale boasting a pale golden color with a refreshing crisp finish. Most of our beers are far cry from normal. This beer simply tastes like beer, making it our Oddball. And this beer is a 45 percent, uh, 45 percent alcohol. That'll, <laughs> dude, that'll rack you. It's four point. Knock you straight off the horse. <laughs> this is a four point five uh, ABV, and uh, it's best enjoyed at forty five to fifty degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it's really good. You know, it kind of has that. Uh, you know, like not necessarily like the, um, like the Miller style finish, but it's kind of like in that genre. Like it's definitely drinkable. It's at 4.5%, and it's pretty tasty, you know. For somebody just getting in the craft beer, 
you know, somebody that just drinks a domestic style beer, then that's all they drink. This is like a great transitional beer. Introductory for sure. Yeah. It has like, you know, obviously it's, it's like fine crafted. It has a little bit of that like wheat flavor that you're going to get. The, yep. yeah, that little wheat flavor you're getting from the other beer. It obviously doesn't have the corn like, you know, the cheaper beers do. Yeah. But you definitely are getting that wheat flavor. That's the first thing that I noticed right off the top was the little bit darker of a taste of that wheat. And then uh, it sort of finishes um, like a little bit of the, the, the um, bitterness, but it's, it's uh, wheat to start and it's, and it's refreshing and it, and, and they're right. It definitely would be best served uh, a little bit more on the, on the warmer side. I don't want to say warm, but definitely closer to that 40, 50 degree mark, not, you know, 30, like you get out of that refrigerator. Yeah. And, uh, for those that have been to uh, Mobcraft, it's actually downtown Milwaukee and, uh, shout outs to our friends at the great lakes distillery. Um, it's right. It's close. I mean, you can walk from great lakes to get to Mobcraft and, uh, it's a really cool place. It's like kind of industrial. They have great beers. You know, they're always changing. I've always, I always see new beers from them all the time. Like if you go to the grocery store, yeah. there's always something new from Mobcraft. Yep. And they're one of those beers that I recommend checking. I, they, I think they used to do it where, you know, if you have a beer idea, they were willing to like look into it and see if it'd be something they'd want to craft, which is really cool. Yeah. And they also have uh, um, a, a few different uh, tap rooms and then they, they also do um, pizza and stuff too. I've had, I've had a few friends that have, uh, have definitely uh, visited this place and said that it is one of their favorites to, uh, to tour in Milwaukee. Yeah. And actually they've had a lot of beers that have won beer, like beer challenges the, and yeah, the awards for sure. Yeah. And uh, one of them was the uh, hyperspace uh, double IPA. Double IPAs can be dangerous, can also be uh, done improperly a lot of times but this one for sure you and i have both had this one uh very very good yeah they also have the uh lemon meringue pie milkshake ipa that one they have the uh milkshakes are big right now yeah and they had the one love bunt cake which is a rum barrel age quad which actually won one of their you know one of the competitions they have had a peanut butter candy time uh ice drum which is a barrel age ice bock they've at Adequa is that, is that the correct pronunciation of this thing? I have no idea. This one is actually I I didn't see this one. This was back in uh, maybe February. It says, but this one I have not heard of. It's a farmhouse ale with cranberry, which is cranberry is a Wisconsin I staple. I bet it's just amazing. I bet you this thing would taste a little bit like Thanksgiving dinner. But again, if you're in the stores, pick this one up. This is called Oddball Colch Style Ale. And uh, go check out Mobcraft if you're downtown Milwaukee. I, I recommend it. It's a must visit. Uh, not only is their food, you know, pretty top notch, but their beer, it excels just like all Wisconsin beers. Do. Yeah. And they open it up to let the fresh, you know, Lake Michigan air in. They have uh, like Big. these garage doors yep. industrial that they lift right up and you can just go right out there and have a couple brews. Absolutely. All right. So as promised, we are here with a very special guest interview uh, we are with Nate Hansen of Hansen Screen Printing. Uh, he is a probably the, the the biggest brewer fan I know, and uh, longtime listener, longtime fan. Uh, Nate, what are some of your fondest brewers' memories? 
so you know growing up as a kid my old man used to take me to a lot of games um in the 90s you know there wasn't much of a team there but that's that's when my love kind of started Fernando Vina, John Jaha you know um to, to name a couple guys but um just county stadium i loved county stadium growing up as a kid you know my i had a power ranger or ninja turtle backpack whatever it was my old man would throw a few paps blue ribbons in there make me go ahead <laughs> of him in line and maybe you know try to get me in there with some beer for him but that's awesome i got popped i got popped a couple times and the, the ticket guy said well where's your dad and i turn and look well that's when he turned his back and looked the other way you know because he, he got caught but uh they just took the beer let me in but that's you know just growing up as a kid in the 90s with a, a losing team you know just to be at the ballpark it was great um you know they used to have players on the field before the games you can go down there and get your picture with them you know um another more more recent memories are uh that that first playoff uh getting into the playoffs as a wild card you know 2008 2008 yeah just sitting there, just sitting there and watching watching the big screen to to see if you're going to make it, you know, and then the confetti falling. Just just that experience of, of Milwaukee finally being a competitive team, now, you know, after 25 years of not making the playoffs. Um, you know, they were, they were a below 500 team for, man, I don't know, for 15 years. And, you know, that, that was pretty exciting. And then, and then you started seeing some moves, um, 2011, 2018, you know, just – just finally being competitive and, and, uh, and that, you know, I don't know. It's just stuff like that game, big games like that really made a big impact on, on my fandom and being a part of it too. Now you were the, the game in 2008, the, the one where the confetti fell and we had, uh, what was the uh, CC Sabathia? Um, was that the one that you and I were both at? And I was, I was on, uh, the field level, and you were up in the second deck, I think, or was that 2011 when Niger hit that one over? Uh... I believe that was 2011. Yeah. Um. um uh, yeah, it was. You know, just being at those playoff games. My my dad has been a season ticket holder, so you know we get first pick on the playoff games, and um, you know, 2018, I was at every home game all the way through. You know, I as far as the playoffs go, I was at the NL, NLDS, NLCS games. I actually missed only one home game. Wow. And that was the, uh, the Wade Miley. Oh, sure. One batter. Yep. You know, one batter game where council had him pitching for one, one batter and they pulled him just to screw with the Dodgers. Yep. I remember that. Brilliant. But just, just baseball in general, you know, I'm always, I'm a big historian, love the Braves, love the story of how, how Milwaukee finally got baseball back. Um, you know, and just Hank Aaron coming back as a as a brewer, um, I think that was huge for the for the community just to see their old, you know, one of the old originals from the Braves finally yep. come back home to Milwaukee. You know, after after he went to Atlanta when they when they moved the team and yep. just to finish his career in Milwaukee, it's a, it's huge. Um, you know, you got your '82 Brewers, Harvey's um, Wall Bangers. It's just the history around the whole team it's just it's it's awesome you know how they became a team you know ripping the patches i don't know if you guys have talked about it or not but ripping the patches off off the seattle pilots jerseys because they needed 
needed jerseys right away, you know. And yeah, it's just it's fun. I take my kids all the time. Uh, I try to I try to take one at a time, so I, we get that bonding experience. Just me and one of my kids, and um, hopefully they'll they'll do the same. But they're getting to, they're all girls, so they're getting to be the age that they don't want to. It's not fun anymore to them. <laughs> so I, I either go by myself or. So Nate. You know, do you uh do do you get do you get those girls wearing the uh Leon, the Leonardo uh beer mules as I like to say <laughs> the the uh, Ninja Turtle backpack uh beer mules? No, no, I, I you know, nowadays it's a little bit more strict of a policy. Um I think it gets popped pretty quick. You know, now they search every bag every bag that you walk in with. If you had a couple little ro- you know, a couple walking sodas stick in the bag if you didn't finish them at the gate i think that you get popped pretty hard um but you know it, just growing up as a kid and being able to live that atmosphere with with my dad and his friends and opening days and oh man there was there were times where opening day was coming and you knew you were skipping school yeah you know <laughs> we've been but, there like, yep and and sometimes you'd see a buddy there with his old man and you'd be like oh you skipped school too this is awesome you know the, the the rain delays were huge too you know it's it just just a rain delay back at county stadium meant you just hang out everybody has a good time yep um you know you find stuff to do um i've been to uh national stadium a lot of spring training games um let's see the old metrodome wrigley comiskey um chasefield in arizona i'm just trying to think off the top of my bush stadium you know it's yeah that's the biggest thing too for me is that i want to see him in every stadium um my brother's a red fan so we used to commute down there quite a bit yeah that's that's one of the only other ones that i've seen the brewers play in was uh was the reds and uh i watched exactly and they had a a four-game series there and i went to the the reds uh hall of fame every single day and they would give you yeah. with your ticket like a, a bobblehead as well. Yeah, yeah, that's where they have all Pete Rose's base hits. Did you see that in there? Yeah, up Line the up staircase. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's awesome. Just, just the just the love of baseball in Milwaukee, being a small town, you know, small market team. At least, you know, it's slowly starting to be mid market now. But cause we have an owner that wants to spend some money, but. Um, just to be a, a small market team in the early 2000s and and start to become competitive again, it, it really it really helps the, the state as a whole. I think um, incredibly, it does. Yeah, yeah. I know one of my what one of my memories was uh, living in uh, Kansas City with a girlfriend of mine, Crystal, and uh, she was a Royals fan. But we got we we saw the Royals play the Brewers in Kansas City Stadium, and uh, obviously I was the only Brew Crew fan. In that stadium, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah that's, that's one stadium I'd like to go to too. Just, just the same. They've got kind of the same atmosphere. It's small market baseball, and there's something you got to appreciate that. You know, you don't have the, you're, you don't have the Yes Network or whatever the, the stupid Cubs Network is now. You know, to where you're not making money off of, off of TV networks, and it's just, uh, you know, it might be a salary cap thing or. I don't think that's going to happen, but just to see these small market teams and see what their salary is and just to see them perform and, and do well against these 
Red Sox or Cubs or the Yankees who have all the money to spend in the world. But, you know, it's just, it's really fun. And I think it's awesome for the city of Milwaukee and the state. I agree. Well, uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, I know that uh, the Milwaukee Brewers uh, are are on on hold right now due to uh, St. Louis kind of getting a a few COVID uh, tests and, uh, so we're just kind of waiting that out, and I know that uh, Lorenzo Cain has has officially backed out of this season due to COVID, and uh, wants yeah. to uh, wants to keep his family safe. So we respect that decision as well. But uh, um, like I said, I appreciate your time, and I really hope that maybe uh, at the tail end of this year or maybe next year we can meet up and tailgate a little bit. Oh, absolutely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this year it's just so hard to get into it. You know, it's not having no fans there. Um, I, I really honestly see that the, the writing's on the wall, and, and this season's gonna—it's gonna stop here within probably a week, week and a half. Yeah, you know, players are gonna start opting out. Um, that's just a shame. I, you know, I was looking so forward to the season. Every every year, come you know January, February, I'm starting to get that itch, and um, it was just a shame that that it happened like this, and. Hopefully next year we have some baseball to go to and to watch and and we're competitive and we we win some games, win the division. So, but thanks, thanks again, Nate. Yeah, thanks, Nate. And uh, we'll have the uh, brats unthawed, as we like to say here in Wisconsin, and we'll have the beers cold. Yeah, and, and you know what? We'll uh, we'll do an episode right from the parking lot too. Yeah, definitely. And uh, thanks for uh, clearing up the information. I was uh, wondering about the uh, Leonardo backpack uh, yeah. beer muling. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it happened a lot more than it than it didn't back in the early nineties, and, <laughs> and I think the ushers might have turned a blind eye to it. Absolutely. You know, but uh, there was also only about ten thousand fans in the stands too, so they didn't really care as long as they're long as they were there. Seat, you know, they're spending a little money on a couple hot dogs and some licorice ropes, and it's all good. All right, Nate, you take it easy. Yep. Take care. All right. Bye. All right, that concludes this episode of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. If you enjoyed this vulgar display of Wisconsin, we recommend you subscribe via SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, leave us a review on any one of those above-mentioned sites, and we can read one at the end of every show. Follow us on social media and feel free to reach out, especially if there is a piece of history or weird news you'd love us to share or research, as well as highlight some local artists or music. Our website is projectcapestudio.com. I'd also like to thank my friend and past co-worker, Steph Skibak, for providing us with awesome podcast cover art, as well as the Dangits for intro and outro music, and all of you for listening. As always... Watch Watch out out for deer deer on the way way home. home.